Welcome to Out of Curiosity, where we are seeking biblical clarity for modern questions. My name is Cameron, and I am joined here by my good friend. This is Garland. It's a modern question, another one that we have before us today, Garland. Um, You could phrase it a number of ways. One is this. What role did women have in the early church? If we wanted to be a little bit more provocative, we could say this. Was the early church just a boys club? If we wanted to be even more provocative, we could say, was the early church hopelessly patriarchal, hopelessly demeaning, um, denigrating, dismissive towards women um, and their, their, their place uh, in its life? That's what we're talking about today. Um, maybe I would just say out of the gate, it would be better to have this conversation, perhaps if we had um, some women here with us. But nonetheless, it's an important question that we, we want to discuss and platform and think about, think biblically about. These kinds of accu- accusations are thrown around about uh, Christianity, both modern and ancient. Where do we start, Garland, um, to start thinking about a question like this? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's uh, quite the setup there. Um, and we got obviously a lot to, to even wade through. And just, let me just say, first and foremost, you're totally right. Um, and it will be our intention to have this uh, a similar conversation soon, but even have some women joining us on here and let them uh, share their perspective. So that's the first thing. You're totally right. I think the second thing would be that this could be really personal. Um, and so... Um, yeah. This this topic um, has caused for some a lot of hurt. Um, it's caused for some uh, a feeling of uh, inadequacy or a feeling of being uh, unheard or uncared for, or unvalued. And uh, and we we've heard those stories. Uh, we've interacted both across the uh, like the coffee shop table or um, people in our church or people that we know personally. And so uh, we we are not. Uh, we, we we recognize that, and uh, we want to we want to understand that. And uh, what, one of the things that I'd like to uh, just also say is I've got uh, uh, my wife's just sitting in the other room, and I've got two daughters. And um, as we have this conversation, um, even from a father and a husband, it is it is a, a conversation that I think has real personal application. And so um, I know that for many people in the, you know, kind of our, our modern world that we find ourselves in, this topic is one of the main reasons why they avoid Christianity, the Bible, and church, is they think that it is demeaning to women. And uh, I understand where that is coming from. So we want to say that all out of the gate. I understand where that is coming from. And and just by way of maybe introduction even to uh, this topic, um, and we're going to wait. We're going to get into the Bible in a minute and see what it says. But uh, I had the had the opportunity uh, recently, back about a year ago, to about six months ago, to actually go to Israel um, with a, a group of people. We had about forty of us that got to go over there. We were uh, hanging out by the Sea of Galilee, and there's a uh, there's an archaeology site that uh, they've unearthed the the ancient city of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene from uh, the New Testament was from. Uh, She was a a companion of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. And uh, they found the synagogue, and uh, what they've done is they've built a uh, kind of a a tourist spot, a hotel, and then some other stuff around it. And one of the things that was really fascinating is um, they've built a a chapel kind of near the site where they found this, um, (laughs) this ancient synagogue. And our group went in there, and it's it's new. It's only been uh, it, it's been constructed recently, you know. Uh, but when we walked in, it's beautiful and it's well done. Uh, they had columns all around this kind of central circular atrium, and on the columns, and and what really what we want to do in this episode is just basically recreate this experience um, because it was incredibly powerful. <laughs> on every column in the room in this 
Chapel was a name of a, uh, a woman who made a significant contribution in the ministry of Jesus. And as we went in there and our tour guide, uh, she was awesome. Uh, she was from, uh, from Scotland, had that Scottish accent, and she was walking us through with the history and all the stuff that was at the site. And uh, the way she talked about each one of those columns, which represented that, those women, um, I, within about 10 minutes, most of the people in our group, including most of the men and even, uh, like had tears in their eyes. I was thinking about my daughters and my wow. wife just thinking what, a, what an amazing way to honor the women that had a huge impact on the ministry of Jesus. And so um, I remember standing in that room thinking, if people could see this, feel this, you know, uh, I think that this question would have a, a, a diff- it's still an important question, but I think it would answer itself in a sense. And so um, hmm. one of the things we want to do just, just real quickly, and we're going to fly through um, a lot of figures in a short amount of time. And so you may need to take some notes on your phone or write some of this stuff down because we're going to move quickly. Um, but the first thing we want to do is, is we want to see the, the background that the first century, uh, both men and women, what, what background they had as they approached this, uh, this issue. And then we're going to look specifically at the ministry of Jesus and Paul. But before we do, anything else you think is important by way of just introducing the topic? Uh, is, that, uh, is, this a, is, this, is this a fair way to go about this, do you say? Oh, yeah, I suppose it's fair. Um, yeah, I, I appreciated your your disclaimer up front, I would just maybe even reiterate it that, you know, we're going to touch on a very narrow sliver of this conversation. I don't even think as far as we are planning to, we're not even going to get into the larger sort of complementarian, egalitarian debate around ministry leadership and that sort of thing in this. Um, but there's so many stories and, and we, we just have to acknowledge um, so many stories where the church has really not captured the spirit of the early church that we're about right. to that right. we're about to discuss mm-hmm. um, that is tragic and heartbreaking mm-hmm. and um, those are difficult things to get over and so um, yeah pastorally uh, if I were sitting in this office this is I'm at the church right now if you're if you're watching on YouTube um, you know th- there's a lot of this de- debris to sort of wade through um, before bef- often before you start getting into these kinds of well let's just go straight to the Bible and you know so anyway but yeah, this is a podcast, helpful. and uh, and we're gonna we're trying to answer a question. Um, but yeah, I, I appreciated how you how you teed that up. I think those are really important things to acknowledge out of the gate. Okay, well let's 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 take a look. Then the first thing we got to do is um, as we think through the 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 backdrop of uh, the New Testament church and uh, the ministry of Jesus is uh, the Jewish stories found in the Old Testament. And um, while this is, we're not going to have time, obviously, to wade through all the the stories in the Old Testament, one of the things that's really fascinating when you do a a deep dive walking through the books of the Old Testament is the way in which women are portrayed. Now, uh, we don't want to be one-sided. Obviously, there's plenty of wicked women in the Old Testament and, uh, you know, women that do some terrible things. And so uh, we're not going to say that the Old Testament portrays every single uh, woman in a positive light and all the men in a negative light. But one thing that's interesting is, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, yeah, the, the Bible depicts humans uh, exceedingly human, uh, yeah. <laughs> both people men and women. People. They're complex, yeah. men, yeah, and women, com- yeah, complex and multifaceted. Yeah, mm-hmm. of course. Um, but there's tons of examples as we look at the uh, at the Old Testament where women are portrayed uh, heroically, where women are doing incredible uh, deeds of leadership and service, and oftentimes women are are, are 
portrayed in the biblical narrative in the Old Testament as foils for the men. Um, and so uh, just to list a few, you've got uh, Rahab the faithful, uh, the faithful Gentile, when the people of Israel largely are struggling to obey Yahweh. You've got Deborah, the warrior poet. We've got Ruth, who's, the, again, a Gentile loyal to Yahweh when the people of Israel um, largely aren't, and they're running away from Israel um, in sort of this, uh, as the book of Ruth unfolds, sort of this lack of trust running away. And it's the foreign Gentile woman who becomes the, the model of what it looks like to, to be faithful to Yahweh. One of my favorite stories in the Old Testament, just for the contrast, is in uh, 1 Samuel, the first couple of chapters of 1 Samuel, you get uh, the, the old priest, his name's Eli, and you have the, the, the barren woman, uh, Hannah, and you see this contrast as Eli's sons are wicked. We see that later on in the book of 1 Samuel. And Hannah comes to the temple, to pr- the tabernacle to pray, and the old priest doesn't even recognize what prayer looks like. Um, he's, he's so um, unfamiliar with her genuine prayer that he even questions her about it. And as First and Second Samuel, the books of Samuel begin and end, they actually create a really fascinating contrast. At the beginning of Samuel, you have this faithful prayer of the woman, Hannah. And at the end of Samuel, you have the the we might say the psalm or the prayer of David, except by the end of David's life, you see this train wreck of um, adultery and murder, and he's, he seems to have lost his, his, his integrity for Yahweh, we might say. And the book begins and ends with poems, one by the woman and one by the man. And there's countless <laughs> stories in the Old Testament that we might say uh, continue to paint this picture. We can think of Esther. There's stories in the, the stuff that we don't read, oftentimes as Protestants, the, a lot of times they're called the apocryphal texts about Judith, and we see stories about Susanna. And so um, th- we, as we think about the, the, the world of Jesus and the, the New Testament or the early church, largely coming out of a Jewish world, this is the these are the stories that are in the air for them. This is the, the worldview and the culture that they are steeped in. And it, it just, it's, it's, it's worth noting. It's really interesting uh, considering that Old Testament background. And so um, many of those women are portrayed really favorably. And I think it's not surprising then that in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, we actually have women included, which was... a was sometimes a rarity in the ancient world. And then looking at the women that are included, we can look and see these are, the, these are surprising women even that are included in Matthew chapter 1, and yet yeah. these are the kind of women that have demonstrated a loyalty to Yahweh, oftentimes coming outside the family of Israel. And that is really instructive, I think. So before we even mm-hmm. turn the page to the action of Jesus in Matthew's gospel, he's already presented us with five women. And I think he's... I think he's saying, go check these stories out. Um, and so uh, just I'll, I'll throw it to you just for a moment. Like, how does that fall on you? Like, how does that land on you or anything you'd add as we consider that Old Testament backdrop? Yeah, I mean, it, it is not the typical narrative that gets laid out, especially whenever um, questions are raised around this issue. It's typically just taken for granted that the Old Testament especially, but the New Testament as well, um, wouldn't make space to view these women in the heroic kind of frankly heroic terms that it that it really does um so i think that's just that's huge i would even go back even before that to note uh from creation itself the genesis one and two account um 
certainly Adam and Eve both have their <laughs> their their mistakes uh, right. once we get to Genesis three. But you know, God makes everything good, um, except for the man that He'd made alone, and 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 He doesn't make another man to join <laughs> to right. join Adam. Right. He He creates a woman. Um, she has distinct her in her uh, female ness is. Uh, necessary to bring about the full picture of goodness that God had intended, and so um, even from there, I mean, you can you can analyze that for for the rest of your life to find the significance of it. But from from the start of the biblical narrative, it's like uh, he he has sig- deep mm-hmm. significant things for women to do mm-hmm. in the story. Well, that we he's can telling. see that especially in Genesis two, because the word translated for us helper, which I think modern people hear that and go. I don't know about that word. I don't like hearing that word. Right. It's the Hebrew word Aitzer, and that word is actually used. The character that that used is word that that word is used about more than any other character in the Old Testament is actually Yahweh Himself. Uh, and so yeah. encoded in that word is not it's a powerful word. Yeah, yeah. It's not secretary and weakness. Uh, encoded in that word is rescuer, uh, deliverer, completer. Um, and so just even, even like you're saying, even on page two of our Bible, uh, that's, that's pretty cool. And so as we yeah. then turn into the, the culture, so kind of outside of the biblical account of the Old Testament, just a cultural backdrop. And there's a scholar, her name's Lynn Kohick, and she's really helpful here. Um, she's kind of the, the scholar that people go to in this. And, and, and the way she articulates it is this. If you were to drop into Israel, you know, the northern part of Israel, Galilee, somewhere around the Sea of Galilee, and you were just to drop into a village and you're going to go venture over to a family or venture into a village and you'd ask, what are the women doing? Um, well, they're going to be, they're going to be doing all sorts of things. They're going to be making uh, clothes for the family. They're going to be tending to crops. They're going to be tending to herds and flocks and milking goats. And they're going to be um, taking things to the market and buying things from the market and carrying jars of water. And lots and lots and lots and lots of things that are really significant for survival in the first century. In fact, even just articulating that, go read Proverbs 31 again, uh, verses mm. 11, uh, 10 and following, and I think it begins to click. Okay, and then Lynn Kohig makes this point. If you were to go to the exact same village or the exact same house and ask, what are the men doing? Well, they're going to be tending to flocks and tending to crops that they have and going and taking things to market and milking cattle. And what she's trying to help us to see is in the ancient world of you know a place like Palestine or Israel, most people are just desperately trying to survive. Um, hmm. And she portrays this not to, not to you know, make us feel bad or, or compare it to the modern world. She's just trying to say um, a lot of the things that you'd see a man doing are the very same things you'd see a woman doing. And the biggest, most notable difference becomes with children, and, and naturally so. Um, a, a pregnant woman or a woman nursing young children is going to have a little bit different of an experience. But largely, you'd see men and women doing very, very similar things. I think that also helps us as we consider um, just the culture of which, in which Jesus would have grown up and done a lot of his ministry. Now, the fun part. Okay, anything else to say before we do the, the, the more fun part, at least to me? Let's jump in. Let's jump okay. to Jesus. Let's jump to Jesus's ministry. Okay, this is the columns in that room. Um, we're going to just go to one gospel, just one gospel. We're going to do a flyby. We, we could do a lot more here. I just want to show one gospel. It's going to be the gospel of Luke. And I want to just notice how the gospel of Luke shows women figuring prominently in the story of Jesus. First and foremost, we've got 
two women in chapter one that before the story basically even kind of kicks off, we've got two women already, uh, we, we might say, taking center stage in Elizabeth and Mary. And in fact, most of these most of these first chapter, this first chapter revolves around their actions, their words. Uh, we have entire poems and songs and interactions being recorded uh, from two women. And so the the first part of the Gospel of Luke it actually begins with largely the story of two women, Mary and Elizabeth, and that's really really fascinating to me. And what's even more fascinating is both are presented, we might say, as foils or in contrast to again this this should be ringing First Samuel bells. Uh, Zechariah, who's the the old male priest who kind of failed to believe the message of the angel, and yet yeah. here the two women, um, they they seem to get it in a way that they don't. As we fast forward the story a little forward, uh, go to Luke 8. If you don't mind, Cameron, read for me um, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 3. Uh, I, I, want to, I want you to see, if you're listening to this out of curiosity episode, just see how these women are presented in Jesus's ministry. I think it's easier for us to kind of, glee, kind of glaze right over verses like this, but just stop and camp out and notice what it says. Okay, this is Luke 8, 1 through 3. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him and also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary called Magdalene from whom seven demons had gone out and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's household manager and Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So notice, um, these aren't just, it doesn't just say, and some women were there. We've got women that are named. Um, this is what those columns were all representing. Um, we have named women who are contributing greatly to Jesus's ministry. In fact, there's a, a New Testament scholar, his name is Richard Bauckham, and what he suggests in a really fascinating book called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses is that when mm. you see these named uh, characters in the Bible, blind Bartimaeus, we have Susanna, the wife of uh, Chusa. We've got, uh, you know, uh, Simeon and his children, and you can go look them up. Uh, Bauckham suggests that this is how ancient people cite their sources. We do footnotes. It's footnotes. And, yeah, yeah. We do footnotes and bibliographies now, or we do show notes, you know, at the end of a podcast. For Luke, he begins the gospel by saying, um, I, I tried to present an orderly account from eyewitnesses of what they saw and heard about the ministry of Jesus. And then he's constantly throwing out all these name drops. And one of the things that we might uh, note there is, why, why put their names? You don't have to. Uh, Bauckham suggests that that's his way of saying, I got this tradition. I got some, much of this story, yes, from Matthew, you know, the disciples. We got uh, John and Peter, and those, but also from these women, you know, Mary and Susanna and I went and asked them, and you can go ask them as well. And so some of our, we might say, some of our tradition, the source material for some of our Gospels is coming from the mouth of these women. I think it's also significant that Joanna here is listed um, as probably a pretty serious contributor to Jesus' ministry. I think one of the questions I've always wondered is, how are they, how are they paying for all this? <laughs> like, you got many years of ministry and they're traveling up and down Israel. How are they paying for all this? And one of the things we can see if we look real closely at the gospel accounts is uh, people were supporting the ministry of Jesus and his disciples, including probably here, Joanna. Um, she's married to a man of some standing and Luke goes out of his way to uh, mention these women. Just a few chapters later, we see the famous encounter with Mary and Martha where Martha's... Uh, mm -hmm. 
she's tending to things in the kitchen, but Mary's taking a very surprising role to sit at the feet. Some scholars would suggest is a, a way to take the place of a learner or what we would call as a disciple underneath the teaching of a, a, of a rabbi figure. And that's a very... <laughs> That's a very prominent place for Mary to be in this account. And notice what happens. Martha comes in and says, Jesus, what are you doing? Make her help me. And Jesus says, she's actually chosen the better thing. And so here we have, we have a woman sitting at Jesus' feet, which very well may indicate the posture of a learner or a disciple. And Jesus commends her for taking uh, that position. Um, To me, it it just is fascinating as we consider that there were Jews in Jesus' day that really did have, we might say, a sexist uh, attitude and even prayed things like, Lord, I thank you that you didn't make me, you know, a Gentile or a Samaritan or a woman. And here we have Jesus saying, this woman has chosen the greater part. The part She is exactly where uh, she is to be. Uh, Jesus commends the widow's gift in Luke 21. And maybe the most noted example, I mean, this is, the Mac Daddy of all examples. If this, if this doesn't, um, if this doesn't, if this isn't inspiring. If this doesn't, I think adjust how we have this conversation. Then we haven't. I haven't done a good enough job of of, of making sense of this. But in the resurrection account, I mean, obviously this this gets a lot of airtime. But let me just state it again. Um, th- there's debate about how much uh, authority a woman would have to to present testimony um, in the ancient world. There's debate on that, but. In a legal context? In a legal context, yeah. There's debate on that. And, but suffice it to say, um, there's debate. So it's not as if it's a, uh, just a slam dunk. Of course we're going to listen to their word. Of course uh, we take them seriously. If that's the context, and in that context, the gospel writers, they state, and they don't take it out, that the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus the Messiah the most important announcement, the good news that sin and death has been defeated, the first to experience it and then the first to tell it because they go and share, the first to herald that message are the women. That is so significant to me. Um, it's, it's huge. And it what's <laughs> one of the things that can also get glossed over there, although plenty of ink has been spilled on this, is the reason they were the ones who were the first to receive it is because they were the ones who were still faithful to Jesus right. even after yeah. his yeah. death. Like the so, so we're told scene. that, yeah. yeah, we're told the rest of the disciples, uh, and perhaps it was it was John that was in this boat and maybe he came back at some point, repented uh, before before the resurrection. But uh, the disciples all abandoned Jesus. Uh, they were gone. They were they didn't want to associate with them. Uh, they left. It was these women who 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 get the the blessing of being the first witnesses and the recipients and the first declarers of this good news because they were the ones that stayed faithful to the bitter end. Right. And that's pretty right. incredible. I hope we're doing justice to that room in Magdala because it was so moving and mm. uh, just even kind of reciting all of this right now. I'm, I'm, I'm. Uh, this it's compelling. Like I, I think it's it changes how I even hear our initial question, which is, it, did women have a role to play? Was uh, was the Bible sexist um, or that that kind of question? I think when we look at the Book of Acts as Luke continues his narrative in Acts chapter one, we see. The, the disciples are kind of all gathered, and we're told, and the women were there too, Acts 1.14. The presumption then is that at the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down and Peter gives up and gives this amazing speech, 
the women are there too. Um, this is an, um, they're, they're right there with them. The, the New Testament, in fact, doesn't make any distinction as they continue to gather together. And then what becomes uh, interesting, I, I think, for me as the story unfolds is, uh, as, is how the women play out in the rest of the story. So when, uh, when Saul, whose name later gets changed to Paul, when he's arresting people for claiming the name of Jesus, it's, it actually goes out of its way to say he was arresting men and the women. Why? Because they're, they're sharing the message of Jesus. Why arrest them if they have no role to play, if they're making no difference uh, in the early church? He goes out of his way, and Luke goes out of his way to mention that he also arrested uh, the women as well. Um, we see uh, in the, the, the founding of the church, we might say, at Philippi, um, the first person to understand the message in the, the great movement of the gospel into Europe is Lydia. The, the, the woman, who's a, she's a traveling merchant, and she hears the message of the gospel. The second person in Philippi, we have one on the top rung of the socially, socioeconomic ladder, Lydia, and then we have a slave girl, and she gets freed and understands that Jesus is the Messiah. It, it goes on and on in the, in the book of Acts, and um, at, just, to, just to put a close to all of this, when we then consider the ministry of the early church after this, as we think about Paul's letters, when he, he writes his letter to the, the Corinthian church, and the Corinthians, that church has its own issues, and we talk about that in other podcasts I know, um, but one of the things, it's a, it's a very controversial passage when he talks about head coverings, it's in chapter 11, but I think of mm. note, he says, hey, when the women are praying and prophesying in the gathering, okay, so the rest of it is not as a different podcast, but he's assuming that women are praying and prophesying. They're speaking intelligible words about the message of uh, the gospel to the community. And maybe my favorite example, and then we can close this down and, and just kind of reflect on it. My favorite example is, is one of those passages that we don't like to read because it can be, I'll just be honest, it can be really boring. Uh, the greetings mm. at the end of Paul's letters are those things that we are like, mm. I, I don't, I don't know how to read this. Um, and in Romans, it's the longest section of greetings of any other of the New Testament letters. It's a whole chapter's worth. So Romans 16, you finally hacked your way through all of Romans. You made it through the first eight chapters. You made it through 9 to 11. And when you get to 16, you're like, I just can't do it anymore. Um, but there's some really <laughs> cool things in Romans 16 that we might have to come back to even uh, for another podcast. But notice, uh, read for me verse 1 and 2 of Romans 16. Sure. Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sintre. How do you Sincrea, say that? Sincrea, something like that. Yeah, Sincrea. Sincrea. <clears throat> that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. So notice the words describing this, this character. She's a patron. Probably means she has, she's uh, providing uh, probably financial and um, and and leadership in some way. She's called a, a how did it translate verse one? Um, a servant. A servant, a servant here. Yeah, this yeah. is our word uh, that we get. We translate uh, diakonos, which deacon. is deacon, mm -hmm. um, something like that. Um, but notice also, most scholars. In fact, I, I'm not. I don't find many that are even debating this now. Phoebe's commended to them most likely because she is the one who has carried this letter to the Roman church. Um, and this is just earth shattering to me. In the first century world, um, letters were really expensive. Like to, to write something like the letter to the Romans would cost in today's you know, economy anywhere from probably seven to $10,000 just for one scroll of the, uh, the letter to the Romans. Wow. It's really 
a difficult process to write something like a letter to the Romans and have it delivered. And so Paul is distilling the magnum opus of the gospel message, and he's sending it to the capital city, Rome, the center of the world, and he wants to herald this great announcement, and he sends it by way of Phoebe. Now, here's what's even more fascinating. Like, even that alone is significant. What's even more fascinating to me is, in the first century world, the person who carries a letter, and you can see this in, there's a book called Paul in First Century Letter Writing, if you want to dig into this more. Usually, the person who bears the letter is expected then to not only read it, and we might even say kind of perform it, read it well, but then to be able to answer questions on behalf of the sender and to make sense of anything that was confusing. So let's just, let's just boil that down. The person who is reading, articulating, making sense of, and answering questions on the, one of the most significant documents ever written, even secular people agree, the letter to the Romans, was probably Phoebe, the patron from Sincrea. So wow. the, we started with what role did women have to play? You know, uh, it was the first century church a boys club. And yes, the, Jesus had 12 male disciples and he had other followers. And yes, P- Paul and Peter take center stage in many of our accounts. And yes, we're, we're not airbrushing that out. But just in this, you know, 30 minutes, what, what I hope that we can establish is the answer is, did women have a role to play? Absolutely significant role to play. Was the first century church just a boys club? Absolutely not. Um, and it takes some detailed reading. You've got to kind of read, um, not between the lines, but you have to read carefully. And I think it's right there on the page of our New Testament. Um, so, you know, that's some of the, we might say, the biblical evidence. Reflections, how, how does that land on you? Well, the fact that we're, we even have to ask that question today, like that it is a pressing question. It's a question I get all the time in some form or another. It's a question I even find myself like wrestling with and thinking about as I read my own Bible. Um, So the fact that I and others even have to ask that question in light of, you know, just this quick gloss of the New Testament is pretty sad, (laughs) you know, (laughs) whenever you actually look at the data and you're you're like, oh my gosh, look at the way in which women were so instrumental in the advancement of the gospel. Mm -hmm. And uh, they they were just these key important disciples of Jesus. Um, Yeah, I I suppose it just fills me with a bit of guilt and shame around uh, the need to even ask it, if that makes sense. Yeah, and and. And you said at the beginning, and it's important, there are significant debates uh, about, uh, you know, women's role in the church and what that looks like. And those are, those are important debates for a different episode of this. But just for my, for my heart as a father of two daughters, uh, you know, for my daughters who may one day, when they get older, listen to an episode like this, to me, this is really inspiring. I remember I am not an emotional person. When I stood in that room and I was looking at my wife and thinking about my two daughters, uh, I, I was, I had tears in my eyes. It was really moving. And so we're, we're replicating that experience from me. So thank you for indulging me, Cameron. One other thing I would say too, is if you are a woman listening to this, um, and you're a disciple of Jesus and you're not sure, uh, what, if any role you have to play in terms of advancing the gospel here in the year 2023, I would just say, um, God obviously wants to use you. Um, <laughs> so yeah. I don't know how and I don't know where and I don't know in what capacity, but I hope that this um, is an inspiring message that he, he, he longs to, to use you and to employ you in the advancement of his kingdom. 
Well, that's, that's really well said. And uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we hope this is helpful. Send us questions as you have them. And thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. 